Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. My guest is Owen O'Connor. He's a postdoctoral scholar at the Hockett Lab at Penn State University. And we're going to talk about mycology and mushroom cultivation. And um, just so listeners know, there's some elements that are as yet unpublished in Owen's work. So you may hear me ask him where he says, I can't discuss that because it's not published and he doesn't want to ruin the publication. So nothing wrong with that. It happens when I speak to CEOs and I ask him something that's proprietary. So if you hear that, just be aware. But uh, welcome, Owen. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, tell me a bit about your background and what attracted you to learning about uh, mushrooms and mycology. Yeah, so I wouldn't have an amazing origin story, I would say. Um, I always had an interest in biology. Um, I studied kind of a general biology course in my undergrad, my Bachelor of Science in Manute University. So I always, like I said, I always had an interest in biology. I actually initially wanted to go into marine science, but I learned, quickly learned I, I don't fare well on both. So I kind of discovered as I went along in my education process and towards the end of my degree, um, I did a research project with a professor, Dave Fitzpatrick at Manute University, and he was really a great mentor and he kind of showed me different sects of research that I wasn't really familiar with, like bioinformatics and genomics and things like that. And kind of from working with him, then I went on to do my PhD research with him as well. And in Minute University, we, we have a strong kind of focus on mycology and fungal research. And um, so from that kind of connection, then I was connected to Dr. Helen Grogan of CHAG. Is, is a, it's actually T-E-A-G-A-S-C for anyone who might be wondering. But CHAGISC is a, a government funded agency that does research and provides advisory to the agri-food sector in Ireland. And Helen Grogan is a prominent mushroom scientist and her connection with Dr. David Patrick kind of led me into that field of research. So it's kind of a, a lot of different things fell in place for me to finally become a, a person who studies in the field of um, mushroom cultivation and research. Hmm. Do you do any uh, foraging? Like how often are you literally out in the field looking at mushrooms, that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I've dabbled a little bit with foraging. I, di- I didn't really um, do a huge amount in, in Ireland. I know it's definitely upticked in a, lo- a lot of interest in recent years in, in mushroom foraging. And um, I'm living now in Pennsylvania, so this is this is kind of the mushroom capital in a lot of ways. My mushroom experience is mainly in the cultivation, kind of the, the commercial side of things. Um, but it's definitely something I, I want to try and get into a few groups and learn where, where the good spots are to do some uh, do some mushroom foraging, but uh, they could be hard uh, groups to crack. <laughs> so what's the, um, I don't know, what's the focus of your research? Like what questions are you trying to answer in the mycology world? Yeah, so my research is focused on the microbiome. So what I'm trying to apply to the, the mushroom industry side of things is I'm, I'm studying the microbiomes of commercial mushroom substrates. So the likes of the mushroom composts and the casing, which I can go into. Are you studying the micro or the microbiome of and of what? We could say both. <laughs> it's, it's, so it's the microbiome of uh, mushroom substrates. 
Okay, cool. So, Great. Yeah, including bacteria as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm studying the microbiome in a less traditional sense. So I'm using something uh, known as metaproteomics. So typically speaking, when people are studying the microbiome, um, at least at least for the most part in, in the past couple of decades, it's it's been mainly focused on DNA. So to study the microbiome, you collect pools of DNA and you can either amplify uh, specific sequences to identify um, what uh, those sequences belong to. And then you identify the different um, microbes in that community that way. Or you can look at whole pools of DNA, which is more the metagenomics uh, side of things. Um, but with metaproteomics, it's the same idea, but you're looking at pools of proteins. Um, the advantage of something like metaproteomics over metagenomics is that proteins are the, the functional um, biomass within the system. So by looking at the proteins instead of the DNA, you get a lot more information on function. So you can figure out what microbes are in that particular community, but also what the major metabolic pathways that are involved from these different microbes might be. So it gives an extra layer of understanding that metagenomics um, can do, but not on the same uh, level. It's more predictive. So, you know, as I understand it, there's mycelium that will, you know, go perfuse or go throughout uh, the substrate. And then, you know, at the right time, a fruiting body, you know, which I guess would the public knows as mushrooms will, will pop up for a while. So mm -hmm. um, what does the microbiome of the mycelium local areas look like versus like near the fruiting body? Like, I don't know if you study when a fruiting body comes, is there a dramatically different localized microbiome that occurs? Yeah, so um, in the whole kind of production process, there's a lot of different microbiomes. So for anyone that might not be particularly familiar with, with how um, we, we grow mushrooms, particularly the button mushroom, so you have a phase one compost, so that's generally like a plant biomass waste. So that could be your wheat straw, and it typically has a horse manure in it. And then you supplement with a chicken manure or different kind of protein products. Um, and then that material is mixed together and then it's watered. And as it's watered, there's this huge spike in temperatures. Uh, so you're talking about temperatures um, beyond 70 degrees Celsius, which I think translates to about 160 degrees Fahrenheit. And in that time, then uh, you there, there's a lot of turning and there's a lot of aeration of, of the phase one compost. And at that point, you're kind of pasteurizing the material. And what that does is it kind of thermophiles, which are the microbes that are happy to be in, in that kind of high temperature environment, survive. And then the mesophiles, which prefer a more uh, moderate kind of temperature, uh, they kind of die out. And you're what you're doing is you're not sterilizing the compost, you're just kind of um, leaving some microbes behind. And then once we move on from that process, then we have phase two compost, and that's the, the kind of pasteurized material. And um, what this does is it, it leaves a microbiome behind effectively. So it's not what we consider an exenic culture where, you know, you only have, when we add agaricus by spores uh, or the button mushroom mycelium, it's not just, that's not the only uh, microorganism present. There's other microbes there too. So that, that would be different to the typical kind of oyster mushroom or shiitake mushroom system where they're considered exenic. So throughout this whole process, you get huge shifts in the microbiome from the phase one to the phase two. And then, so when the mushroom mycelium is added, then that's what we consider the phase three. And that would be the fully colonized mushroom compost. Um, and then once they're loaded into trays, there's a spawn room. So then that compost fully colonizes, or the mycelium fully com uh, colonizes the compost. And then at that point, then we add the casing layer, which is the peat moss layer. And we 
typically is fagged in peat moss from Canada here in the US as the casing substrate. So you're talking about a lot of different microbiomes, but the microbiome from the compost uh, versus the microbiome to the casing is vastly different. And then that microbiome shifts as the mycelium grow and it matures and kind of takes over the, that particular medium. Yeah, has anyone sampled along the length of, you know, a mycelium network to see if the, the localized microbiome is different in the quote-unquote, let's say, origin point or older part of the network versus the newer part where the hyphae are exploring new areas and growing into new areas? Yes, that work has been done. So there has been sampling kind of from the beginning to the to the latter parts, and there has been metagenomics and different microbiome research done on those different substrates. Um, what we're really looking for, so the, the project my, uh, my team is involved in, uh, we, we we're looking at what we call the DBOM. So it's kind of a, a new term coined by my group, but um, uh, the DBOM is the developmental microbiome. So what we're interested in looking at is the microbiome that actually influences the development of the crop, say. So we're actually targeting the, the casing layer to look at that because we believe that the, there's, there's something more interesting when it comes to the mushroom formation when you look at the casing itself. Um, so it's to say that um, the, the compost microbiome it doesn't have as big of an influence, we believe, on the mushroom formation as the casing layer does. And that's quite interesting because the compost layer is the layer that provides the, I suppose, the nutrition for the, the growth of uh, all the biomass. Um, but the casing layer, is, there's, there's no specific nutrition in that layer. It's, it's a layer that we add for anchorage when the, when the mushrooms form. It's really like a, a moisture reservoir because you need high moisture environments to actually form mushrooms. So it's, it's not a layer that actually has nutrient in it per se. Um, but there are a lot of microorganisms in that particular layer that are really, really important for uh, the primordial formation or the pinning all the way up to the full fruit body formation. And there's a lot of work done in, in what, what is in there that's important. So we know that it's very rich in uh, pseudomonads. And um, that's quite important because pseudomonads, uh, they break down what we call volatile organic com compounds, which are produced when the mycelium is growing. And these VOCs um, are actually toxic to the mycelium and the fruit bodies as it accumulates. So there's a synergy between the pseudomonads and agaricus um, in this process because they'll break it down and metabolize it as it's being produced. So, oh, so if you it's start... like, um, like the, the VOCs are the waste products of the mycelium growth and these bacteria are cleaning up their waste essentially? Yeah, effectively. Yeah, they're kind of the byproducts of, of metabolism. Yeah. Um, th this is where it's, it's really fascinating from a microbiome standpoint because if you sterilize casing, say, uh, you will not get mushroom formation. Um, and the same, you, you can't form fruits or fruit bodies um, on agar as well, because um, agaricus bisporus is dependent on these other uh, bacteria and whatever else for mushroom formation. So that's where it's really interesting from a microbiome research standpoint. Um, and we're looking at these systems. So what, what kind of resources are being traded? So you said VOCs and these, uh, you know, these bacteria, I guess, are eating the, you know, the poop or whatever you want to call it, the waste from the mycelium. But uh, are there like sugars being exchanged? Like, what? Are, why are the bacteria there? What are they getting out of the deal? And what are the mycelium getting out of the deal? Well, they metabolize those compounds, so the, the, they're they're using it for their own metabolism. And, they, and well, I mean, uh, and, in addition to the VOCs, you know, like a common trade in the microbial world is like a sugar molecule for something else. 
Um, so what kind of trades are going on in addition to the VOCs being consumed? I wouldn't be 100% sure on the trades between the two. Okay. Well, we know, again, at least one of them is uh, cleaning up the, again, the, the waste products from the mycelium. So they're getting that. And do we know what the bacteria are giving to the mycelium besides cleaning up their environment so that they can, they can persist? Are there any molecules that you see passaged from the bacteria into the mycelium that they use as, you know, for some purpose? Yeah, the, the actual specific molecules that they would be giving, either I'm not sure of what they are, or that's not kind of the line of work that I'd be specifically looking at, or whether somebody else has researched that and discovered that, um, I'm not 100% sure. Um, so what, what what questions are you trying to ask? Like you're, you're seeing, you're characterizing again that uh, the microbiome is very different, you know, for different substrates, when the fruiting body is occurring, et cetera, but so what is that knowledge going to do for you? Are you, again, are you trying to figure out what makes a healthy microbiome for them and, or not? Or you know, what kind of conclusions are you trying to draw from this study? Yeah, because we're looking at the, the genome, what we're trying to do is the, the long-term goal of this kind of project. And um, we're trying to look at when we manipulate the microbiome, uh, how that influences development and how we can, in effect, kind of synthetically recreate that uh, scenario. So we have performed experiments where we take, we've done it with compost, we've done it with um, casing as well, where you take casing from a crop just at the kind of most important point where we have primordial formation. We take material from that and we passage it. And so by passaging it, you're just adding a small percent into a fresh crop. And then as that crop progresses, you're doing the same thing again. So passaging and repassaging. And we, we found some really interesting results there seems to be a very positive impact on crop production when you do passage these materials and yeah, you effectively mature the microbiome in them. Um, there's a few different interesting uh, suppressive uh, disease aspects of that as well uh, that we're also looking into. Um, so by identifying what's different between passage casing versus standard casing and really looking at the different uh, compositions of those microbiomes, uh, what we're also aiming to do is isolating specific uh, phyla from, from those uh, differences. And then, like I said, create kind of a synthetic situation where they're added to a, a standard casing and see, do we replicate the same results? So it's quite crude in, at first. So you're just passaging material that's, uh, you're creating like a more mature casing. But the, the end goal would be to effectively have a, a list of the important phyla, add those in um, artificially, and then see, do we get the same results? And as well as having positive results um, for commercial kind of application scale, and when we do try to see how this might manifest in a commercial setting, um, it's, it's just a really interesting model as well, because when you're growing mushrooms, I mean, agaric spice borers itself, it's a microorganism. Um, so you're looking at, even though it's the host, typically when we look at different things like suppressive soils and different types of microbiome research, the host is generally, you know, uh, a plant or something else. So this is kind of a microorganism that's the host in a microbiome and how that could be manipulated to stimulate um, the outcome of a, of a crop effectively. So it's an, it's an interesting model going forward for different uh, teams that might be looking at developmental microbiomes because uh, it's a highly controlled system as well. Mushrooms are growing in, in houses where there's a very tight level of parameter control as well. So it's a, it's a really nice... Uh, model going forward for people that might start to look at other developmental microbiomes. So that's that's the overarching goal of what we're trying to do. Yeah. Well, I know when people and then you know most animals, 
you know, we have a bacterial microbiome, we have a virome, we have a phagome, we have a mycobiome or a fungome, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, so for fungi, do they have, you know, all the different, uh, same things? I mean, do they have, again, bacteria and are there other fungi that make up their own, you know, microbiome, uh, like, like how extensive are these microbiomes that you're analyzing? Like who are the players in them, you know, besides bacteria? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we know that, um, Ascomycota play a big part in um, the compost microbiome. Um, also, the the surface of the fruit bodies themselves they they also have their own specific microbiome. And there needs to be more work done into how important those particular um, say going back to bacteria um, how important they are when they're some some bacteria will travel from the compost through to the casing because uh, it's layered on top. And then when you get mushroom formation, then you can capture some of the same assemblies on the actual mushroom cap itself. So mushrooms do in effect have their own microbiome even outside of the substrates that they grow in. So there's, there is definitely a lot of different kind of fields of work and it's something I will be looking into as well. So as well as looking at um, how important the casing is for fruit information, I will also be looking into um, how those microbiomes translate um, from the substrates onto the actual fruit body itself. So that's all a line of work that we're interested in looking in as well. And then you have different things like you have, you know, nematodes that are in these um, substrates as well. And um, mm. so it's not just, you know, bacteria and fungi. There, there are really a lot of different things going on because, I mean, these are you're talking about a huge amount of biomass and coming from all different sources and all these different treatments. So it's really a minefield. Um, they're effective, you're effectively looking at soils and they're just more specific. Are there uh, bacteria that live in the mycelium tissue? I know in, you know, yes. again, in people and other animals, there are bacteria that literally live between cells. Some go into cells. So you see the same thing with, uh, with fungi? Uh, yes, there's definitely, uh, there's um, pseudomonads that you will find uh, within the mycelium network. And um, there's also a level of um, um, the agaric spice spores mycelium also can digest different bacteria and use them as a protein source as well. So that, that's another element of it as well. Um, so yes, to answer your question, there is bacteria within the mycelium too. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, what do you think are going to be some of the implications of you understanding, you know, the microbiome of, uh, of fungi? What do you think this is going to lead to that's, that's practical for growing mushrooms better or, you know, uh, harvesting medicines from them or just understanding more of what goes on with the fungi and how they're a part of our world. Yeah, so the the actual process of growing mushrooms, it's it's really the 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 managers on these farms and the the people that are involved in actually growing mushrooms. It's such a art, really, in a lot of ways. They they really have it down to a to a great detail, and it's a very technological process as well. Growing mushrooms um, in in such kind of high volumes. Um, so you're talking about an industry that's very technological in a lot of ways, um, and they have a lot of control over the crops. So by introducing new concepts where we can change the actual outcome from using different substrates, if we can, you know, speed up the cropping process, if we can um, produce higher yields, if we can suppress different diseases, and um, these are all different outcomes that we'd, we'd be very keen to, to see, can we translate that into a commercial setting? So yeah. there's there's plenty of diseases in mushroom cultivation as well uh, you have the likes of blotch which is a bacterial disease for actually from different uh, pseudomonads as well and you have trichoderma disease which is a green mold so it's a, it's a fungal pathogen uh, you have scar fly infestations so there, there's a lot of 
different diseases from different kingdoms effectively that could be targeted by maybe manipulating the microbiome. So there's there's lots of different directions that this type of work could go in specifically for the um, mushroom cultivation kind of sector. Um, yeah. So that there, there are a lot of things we take interest in. But for now, it's really what we're really trying to figure out first is how we can influence development with the microbiome. Yeah, it's so weird. You have uh, micro... Has anyone studied um, microbiome-microbiome interactions between you know, different organisms. Is there even a field for that? Like what, you know, what would you call it if so? A name for a microbiome, but well, that would just be the collective microbiome, I suppose. Like when, when you have uh, suppressive soil kind of systems, what you're really doing is you're, you're introducing a microbiome into another microbiome and there's going to be antagonism and there's going to be uh, synergism between the two. So it, it does kind of fall broadly into the wider field of microbiome research. But a lot of these uh, studies are really, gaining a lot of traction in the past 10, 15 years. And a lot of that's been driven by cheaper, uh, you know, next generation sequencing kind of costs. And even for my, my particular field is in proteomics. And as that becomes more accessible and there's more platforms to run samples quickly and cheaper, and there's more systems to analyze these huge data sets as well. And uh, that's really driving the field of microbiome research because it, it is a field that really gains from more expertise, more uh, computational powers and different things like that. So um, it's it's a field that will only really keep growing exponentially. I mean, the first metaproteomics studies uh, would have been mentioned back in 2004. And really until 2012, there hasn't been a huge uptake in, in this kind of field, but it holds so much potential to study microbiomes. And when you compare metaproteomics to something like metagenomics, it really pales in comparison of the amount of publications that are being disseminated at the moment. So I'd be very interested to see in the next even five years how quickly it does grow. Um, but that'll only come with more people in this actual particular field researching these things and developing the new uh, computational programs and, you know, really the expertise and standardizing processes. Mm. Okay. Well, very good. Um, what's the best place for people to find out more about your work, Owen? Where can they go? Well, hopefully it'll be in um, in uh, journals uh, from publications I'll have. <laughs> Um, but um, you you can you can find out more about me from the the Penn State website and the website my um, PI professor Kevin Hawkett. Um, but yeah, you can just look me up and see what kind of different publications I have. Uh, I do have some work in genomics, and hopefully in the next couple of months there'll be some dissemination of some manuscripts related to metaproteomics with a few uh, a few hurdles left to jump. <laughs> okay, I know very good. Well, Owen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, it's a very unusual area of study, but I think it's going to be really interesting. There's so many, uh, so many unknowns. I think your research will really shed light on a lot of things. And who's no, who knows what they are? But looking forward to it. So, and I appreciate talking about it. Yeah, it's still still early in its conception, so it's interesting to uh, speak to somebody about this type of work. Excellent. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.